guys have been in a series about the Holy Spirit. Hadn't that been good? Well, I want to I want to continue with that today and talk to you about the Holy Spirit. Here, here's here's my my target. I've got a couple things I want to do. Uh, the first, there's a phrase in Acts one. We'll read the verse in a minute where Jesus talks about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and he refers to that experience as the promise of the Father. And so, I want to connect the dots there and help you understand why Jesus refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father. Because it seems like it'd be clear to say the promise of the Holy Spirit, but it's the promise of the Father. And then the second thing is there, there's a verse in John 14 that we're going to look at. And it's one of those verses where I've had what I like to call a, oh, that verse doesn't mean what I thought it means moment. You ever have that? Like there's a verse that you've just read and maybe been taught what it means and you've always just assumed that what it, that's what it means. And then you make the mistake of reading the Bible for yourself. And you realize, oh, that's not what that's saying at all. Well, I, I had that kind of moment with this verse, and I want to invite you into my journey uh, and, and maybe reframe what a very famous and popular verse means, and I think deepen your understanding of really what Jesus was saying. So that's one I want to go after. When I talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, I can't help but go back to my first real encounter with the Holy Spirit uh, that I was aware of. And you know, I was 14. And my mom had been baptized in the Spirit. And shortly after that, you know, we had to leave our church. Uh, and so she was trying to bring me into the same experience. I guess she wanted me to have to leave the church too, I don't know. And uh, so she took me to this James Robison-hosted event in the mid-'80s. Many of you are familiar with James Robison. And he had several speakers there. One of them was a guy named John Wimber. Uh, it was, I remember really liking it. I don't remember a lot that was taught because it was a long time ago, but I do remember after one of the, the messages feeling that tug from the spirit to respond. And so I, I came forward and I knelt at the altar and, uh, this lady named Jeannie Rogers, she was James Robinson's worship leader. And she came up behind me and she laid her hands on me and she started uh, praying over me in tongues like a machine gun. I mean, just completely uninhibited, loud, just going for it. And uh, I'd never heard of tongues. I'd never heard anybody speak in tongues. I didn't know what it was. I'd never been taught about it. I'd never been taught against it. We just came out of a church tradition that never talked about those things. And, And so I'm kind of having that picture-in-picture moment where she's got her hands on me and she's praying over me in tongues, and and, and yet I'm I'm experiencing that, but I'm also evaluating it. Like, what in the world is happening to me right now? What is she doing? I didn't know she was bilingual. All these thoughts going through my head because I recognize her voice. And all of a sudden, I had an uh uh-oh moment. An uh uh-oh moment. Well, let me just tell you what happened. I felt like God dumped a five-gallon bucket of warm oil on top of my head. And it just started to pour over me. And it was so concrete of an experience that I opened my eyes to see the oil. And I could not see it with my eyes, but I could feel it with my hands. Just And, and then the next thing I realized was that remaining upright, I was on my knees, but remaining vertical was getting increasingly difficult. More and more of my attention and energy was going towards remaining upright. And I decided it'd be easier to lay down than to fall down. So I just went ahead and did that. And then I, then I felt this pressure starting to rise from my belly up towards my, my, my head. And that was an uh-oh moment. 
I was deeply concerned. <laughs> what is about to happen to me? And, and what erupted out of my mouth was the giggles. It's, you know, joy sounds like something. Joy's not a theological concept. <laughs> joy's a smile. Joy's a laugh. Joy's a, it looks like something when you have it. Joy erupted from me. And I, in 1984, I laid on the carpet at First United Methodist Church of Bedford for 45 minutes, and I involuntarily crunched and laughed. Uh, and, and at the same time, having this picture-in-picture picture moment, what in the world is happening to me? Because I had no grid for why such an encounter would be a thing. And if you've been around that sort of thing or heard that sort of story, and you need to understand, I've encountered God over the last 30 years in many ways, some far less dramatic than that, some far more, and everything in between. And there's been a lot of times I've said, Holy Spirit, come, and I haven't felt much of anything at all. So I'm just, this is normal. But if you hear those kind of stories, and if you're around those kind of environments much, because those are fun stories to tell, and they are, you can get the impression that the, the point of the coming of the Spirit is to lay down on the floor and crunch, or the point of the Holy Spirit is to, to get knocked down, or the point of the Holy Spirit is to get goosebumps. Anybody ever get goosebumps? Or the point of the Holy Spirit is to laugh, or the point of the Holy Spirit is to cry. And those are common ways that we, as body, soul, spirit people, respond to His touch. It's normal. It's normal the infinite God touches you, the fact that you'd have some kind of response is normal. Uh, but, but the point isn't those responses. And I want to help you understand what the point is because it's a really big deal. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this little verse in John 14, verse 2. It says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In my Father's house are many rooms. There's another translation that says, or several actually, that say, in my Father's house are many mansions. Yeah, you're familiar with that. And, and so that I was taught that my whole life, uh, and it was always in the context of a promise that when I die and go to heaven, I'm going to have a really big house. Be honest. How many of you, that's been kind of your default setting of how that verse has been taught? Be honest. Okay. Uh, how many of you never heard that verse taught? How many of you just don't participate in spontaneous polling of any kind? <laughs> so uh, if you've been taught that that verse is a promise that when you go to heaven, you're going to have a big house, I, I want to tell you that that verse has absolutely nothing to do with that. That's not what it's... Now, you may get a big house when you go to... I'm sure some of you will get a bigger house than I will. But uh, whether or not we get a big house or not, this is not what that verse is talking about at all. Not even close. Not even in the same category. It has nothing to do with going to heaven when you die. It's not what it's about. Now, this verse exists in a context... John 13 through the end of 16 and really, in a sense, into 17 is this final discourse of Jesus before he goes to the cross. And John 17 is a prayer that he prays at the end of that. Uh, and so 
if we're going to understand what he's saying in John 14 too, we need to look at the context. And I'm actually going to start at the end uh, and pull a few verses out of John 17. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And, and he prays so much that's amazing, but I'm going to draw out three verses here. Verse 21, he prays this, that they may all be one, praying for us, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. That's a big prayer. Jesus and the Father for all eternity have had this relationship of unity, this relationship of love, this reciprocal dance of oneness that they've shared in for all eternity where Jesus is in the Father and the the Father is in Jesus. And, And they are one. And Jesus is praying for you that you would get included in that oneness. That in the same, it says just as, in the same way Father, that I'm in you and you're in me, I'm praying that they could be in us and we could be in them. That God's goal for you is to experience oneness with the Father where he's in you and you're in him. And a lot of the language of the New Testament uh, implies this, overtly speaks it. Uh, so much of Paul's writing talks about all the benefits of being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And, and, and you get the impression, you read the, you read the New Testament, you're like, okay, help me understand this. Am, am I seated in Christ in heavenly places or am I in Longview? And the answer is Yes. Am I in Jesus or does Jesus live in me? Yes. Right? This, this thing that Jesus prays is, is not just some marginal thing. It's actually a huge theme of the entire new covenant that we will be brought into this place where we're in Christ and Christ is in us. Well, listen, if Jesus is in the Father and we're in Jesus, guess where we are? In the Father. And if the Father's in Jesus and Jesus is in in us, guess where the Father is? He's in you. This is what Jesus is after. This is what he longs for, is that you'd be brought into this kind of oneness with, with Jesus and the Father. Verse 23, he's continued to pray. He says, I in them and you in me, speaking to the Father, that they may become perfectly one. Verse 26 I made known to them your name, Father, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let me ask you a question. How much does Jesus experience the love of the Father? How much does the Father love Jesus? A little bit? A lot. Eternal. Inexhaustible overwhelming. It is the very essence of being that the God who is love has eternally loved the Son. And Jesus just prayed that you'd experience that same love from the Father. It's a big deal. That's the theme of this whole discourse. And what Jesus is saying, beginning in chapter 13 and through these chapters, he's saying, listen, I'm about to go away And I'm going to make room for you to know the Father like I know the Father. I'm going to make room in the Father for you to be in the Father the way I'm in the Father. 
And when he says, listen, in my father's house, there's a lot of room. He's not talking about a building. He's talking about a relationship. And he's not talking about a relationship that you'll just experience once you die. He's talking about a reality he wants to bring you into now by the Spirit. And the role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to bring you experientially into this place of oneness with the Father and the Son. That's what he wants. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break a preacher rule. I've been told by people who are better preachers than I am that you should never, ever read a lengthy passage of Scripture out loud in a sermon because people's attention span can't handle it. But I think higher of you than that. And so I'm going to read all of John 14. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take each, just about every phrase from John 14, and I'm going to put each phrase in, in one of seven buckets, seven themes that run throughout this. So you got to put, I'm going to teach, and you're going to have to put on your learn, because it's pretty technical. But the revelation that's available right here, as far as what Jesus is really promising us concerning the Spirit, is going to change your life. Okay? So let's read it together. John 14, beginning in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord... We do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? That's my daily quiet time encapsulated in a single verse right there. (laughs) Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. But from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, believes what? That I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. We just read that. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Why is he going to the Father? To make room for you in the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, parentheses, not Iscariot, I'm sure that he appreciated that qualification, (laughs) said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, I need to point this out. That word for home, we will make our home with him. The Father and I are going to come make our home with him. That's the same word in the Greek as in my Father's house are many rooms. So are you going to make a room for us in the Father? Or are you going to make room for the Father in us? Yes. Yes, both. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you remembrance, all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. For now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do, as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Great chapter, so much there. And here's the thing, I've identified, there's probably more than seven, but I've identified seven themes that run throughout this chapter. And Jesus, in the way that he's teaching, he's weaving these themes in and out of each other like a tapestry, so that he moves from one theme to another to another, and then back to one he already hit, and then on to a new one, and then back to another one, and then on. And he's weaving these themes in and out of each other. And and what I'm going to do is I'm going to separate them into categories so you can see these themes with clarity. And I think it's going to make what it means that in my Father's house are many rooms come alive for you in maybe a new way. Theme number one, Jesus gives us peace. He starts and he ends with this theme. Verse one, let, your, let, let, your, let not your hearts be troubled. Verse 27, he expands on that. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's theme number one. You know, when God says peace, he's not saying try harder to have less anxiety, you know? He's making peace available. He's imparting it. Second theme. Aren't you glad I'm going fast? When I say seven themes, some of you looked really concerned. It's like you've already been going for a while. You're just now starting your seven themes? No, no, I'm going to move quick. Second theme. Jesus is one with the Father, and Jesus reveals the Father to us. See this theme weaving throughout the whole thing. It doesn't mean Jesus is the same as the Father. It means that, there's, that because the Father's in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father, because they're so one that Jesus reveals the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to be a theologian? I'm going to, I'm going to help you. Here's your quick, quick 
process to being a very good theologian. Jesus is perfect theology. You want to know what God's like? He's just like Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. We see the theme throughout. Verse 1, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 7, he says, if you'd known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Verse 9, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So here's this theme. Jesus and the Father are one, and so Jesus reveals the Father to us. Next theme, weaves throughout the passage. Jesus is going away to make a place for us in the Father. He starts with it. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Verse 3 says it again, I go and prepare a place for you. Verse 4, you know the way to where I'm going. Verse (laughs) 5, we do not know where you're going. (laughs) How can we know the way? Verse 12, he says, because I'm going to the Father. Verse 19, yet a little while, the world will see me no more. Verse 25, while I'm still with you, which the implication is I'm going to go away. Verse 28, you heard me saying I'm going away because I'm going to the Father. Jesus says, I'm going away. Where am I going? I'm going to the Father. Why am I going to the Father? To prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. Where is he? In the Father in the Father. So what kind of place is he going to pray for you? A place with him in the Father. There's a lot of room. There's enough room for you in the Father. The next thing, Jesus is coming back again to bring us to himself and to the Father. Verse 3, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now we read that and we think, oh, that's about the return of Jesus, which I believe in, I'm excited about. And when he takes us to, to, to be in heaven forever. No, that's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. Because he's about to talk to us about, here, here's going to be the result of all this, is that you're going to be able to do the works that I do and even greater works. Listen, you're not going to need to do that in heaven. How many sick people are you going to heal in heaven? Zero. How many demons are you going to cast out in heaven? None. Right? The whole, he's, he's building up to this thing of, listen, the result of this is going to be that you're going to do the works that I do and even greater works. So he's not talking about when he says, I'm going to go away, I'm going to return, and when I return, I'm going to bring you to myself. He's, he's not talking about the second coming. He's talking about he's going to die, but he's going to rise again, and he's going to be exalted, and he's going to pour out the Spirit. That's where he's going. That's where he's going. Verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Believe me, guys, that's not a future reality for when you go to heaven. That's a reality now. He has not left you as an orphan. He has come to you. Verse 19, he says, I'm going away, but you will, you won't see me, but you will see me. (laughs) Verse 21, 
You'll be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Which is it, Jesus? Are you, are, are you making a home for us and the Father, or are you and the Father making a home for yourselves and us? Yes. Isn't that what he prayed? Lord, in the same way that I'm in you and you're in me, could we be in them and them in us? This is what he's after. This is what he's dying to provide for us. Here's the next thing. Jesus did mighty works because he was in the Father and the Father was in him. Here's a mistake that I think a lot of us make. We read the miracle stories of Jesus and we think, well, of course he did miracles. He's God. And it lets us off the hook, right? Well, I can't be expected to do miracles like that because... I'm not God. I think when I was like 19, I thought I was. I knew everything, you know. But, but as I aged, I've become increasingly convinced I'm really not God. So I don't expect myself to do God things. But then I read the New Testament and it, it seems to expect me to do God things. And I'm like, how, how? Of course, Jesus could do them because he was God. But listen, he, he makes this point. He, he's making it clear I'm not doing this because I'm the second person of the Trinity. I'm doing this as a human being in right relationship with the Father. Look look at what he says. Verse 10, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Every miracle that Jesus did was a miracle that the Father did because the Father was in Jesus. But what if the Father could be in you? And you could be in the Father. Verse 11, he says, or or believe on account of the works themselves. Believe what? He's saying, listen, if if you're having trouble buying what I'm selling here, take a look at the evidence. Evidence pointing to what? He says, listen, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. If you're struggling to believe that, look at the works that the Father does. Uh, Verse 24, he says it again, believe on account of the works themselves. Verse 31, but I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Here's the next theme. It follows right from that. We will do mighty works, keep his word, obey his commandments because we are in Jesus. Verse 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he, and he who loves me, uh, he goes on. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my word. So there's this thing of, of listen, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me and everything I say and everything I do flows out of this oneness with the Father. And listen, if I, if, and I'm going to go and I'm going to leave and I'm going to make room for you and the Father so that the Father will be in you and you'll be in the Father and me and the Father are going to come make our home with you and you're going to do the same mighty works that I do and even greater works. And that's what's even going to empower you to speak like me, act like me, follow my commandments. It's going to be this oneness with the Father that's going to produce all that in your life. Now, the last theme is the answer to this question. God, that's a great idea, 
That's a beautiful theory. It's an elegant concept. It's a nice theological framework. But how is that going to become a practical reality in my life? How is that going to become a meaningful experience in my life? Where it's not just a theology I affirm, but a way that I live. Here's the final theme. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Here's what God wants for you. He wants you to belong in his love. He wants you to, to find your identity as the one who is loved by the Father where you're in him and he's in you and everything that you know to be true about who you are is completely defined by your relationship with the father that you may have used to be an orphan but he said I've not I will not leave you as orphans I will come to you and you get swept up into the spirit of adoption and this abba father cry Romans 8 erupts from you and you begin to have this revelation of sonship and identity and inheritance and who you are with the father. Father, where, where am I? I'm in the Father. Where's the Father? He's in me. I know who I am and I belong. And out of that, out of that flows this kingdom authority. Out of that flows this kingdom expression of the sick being healed and the bound and the oppressed being set free and the good news being preached and your life becomes a conduit for the kingdom of heaven. Not because you're trying to perform for a faraway God, but you're actually allowing the Father who lives in you to be who he is through you. That's your design. That's what you're made for. You can be good at a lot of other things, but if you don't step into that reality, you're, you're living less than your design. The Father and Jesus want to come and make their home in you. How's he going to do that? The, the, the Father is on a throne in a throne room in heaven. And Jesus is exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father how, how is that reality going to find its home in you? Jesus says, watch this. I'm going to turn to the Father and say, Dad, it's time. Pour out the Spirit. On all flesh. He says to the disciples, he's about to, he's about to ascend. He says, don't leave yet. Wait. Wait for what? The promise of the Father. Jesus and the Father for all eternity have shared this love, receiving one another's love, giving love for all eternity. Jonathan Edwards explains the Holy Spirit like this. The, the Father is God in, in his primary essence. 
but God in his primary essence has always been a father, and so he's always had a son. Uh, another way to, to say it, and I'm paraphrasing from Jonathan Edwards, but he talks about how God, God in his primary essence as father has always had a perfect idea of who he himself is. And that perfect idea has always emanated from him as a word, as a logos. And that, that, that word, that logos that has ever been uh, begotten by the Father is so perfect and such a perfect image of the Father that that word, that logos, is the Son. And for all eternity, the Father and the Son have loved each other. And the love that they exchange between each other is such a perfect love and such a perfect representation of who the Father is and who the Son is that 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 love that they share with each other is a person, and that person is the Holy Spirit. And how is God going to sweep you up into the love that the Father shares with the Son? This wind is going to blow. This wave is going to crash in. This love that the Father and the Son have always known and experienced is going to be in you. Isn't that what he prayed in John 17? So he turns to his dad and says, oh, Jesus on the right hand of the Father. He turns to his dad to be the left. <laughs> and says, Dad, would you... Would you let them share in this now? Look what I've done. Look at the scars. I've made room for them in this. It's time. Let's bring them back in. And the Father and the Son come to you in the Spirit and bring you into themselves. That the love that the Father has always had for the Son could be in you. And Jesus is in the Father, and the Father's in Jesus, and now you're in Jesus and in the Father. There's plenty of room. Why don't you stand with me? I want to pray for you. Let me tell you what I'm about to do. I'm just going to ask God to touch you. I'm going to ask the Spirit to come. He's already here, but we're going to welcome Him to come and to touch you, to fill you in a fresh way. Let me just say that there's not a particular uh, manifestation of that that I'm looking for. You're free to just respond to him. Uh, And you can have a really dramatic experience and I will go back to Dallas and Pastor Marty will clean it up. (laughs) Uh, or, Or you may have the most quiet, peaceful experience you've ever had. Or anything in between. I there's freedom. There's no pressure. You don't have to help me feel anointed by the way you respond. I don't need that, right? Uh, Most often, there have been times when I ask the Lord to touch me and I really feel it in a dramatic way. But most of the time, it's, it's, it's fairly peaceful for me. And I'm, I'm good with that. Sometimes it's more emotional. I told you one of those stories. Uh, Sometimes it's more physical. Uh, and we're just going to invite him to move without telling him in advance what it can and can't look like, right? But there's no pressure on you to perform. I'm just going to invite him to come, and all I'm going to ask you to do is just pay attention. Pay attention to his presence. 
Pay attention to his touch. I mean, the, the smallest little goosebump that's a result of his touch is worthy of your gratitude. We're going to honor his touch in that way. But the basis of what we're asking for here is not dependent upon what you do or don't experience. It's dependent upon the fact that Jesus has already gone away and come back. He's already made a place for you. It's a finished work. So here's what to do. I would encourage you to just close your eyes, give your neighbor some privacy. You don't have to, but it might help. And I always like to just put my hands out, palm up, just a posture of receiving. It's a way to do with my body what I'm doing with my heart, which is, Lord, I just want to receive whatever you have for me. Holy Spirit, just come right now. Come in a fresh way. Touch each one individually in just the way that they need. Fill them. Fill them. More of your presence. More of the weightiness of your glory in this place. Holy Spirit, come and sweep us into oneness with the Father and the Son. Now you just pay attention. Pay attention to his peace. To his love. Pay attention to the approval and the acceptance that just washes over you. Pay attention to what's happening emotionally, inwardly. Just receive. Pay attention to what's going on in your body. Could be heat, electricity. Could be tingly. Laughter could be tears. Just honor what he's doing. And Lord, I thank you that we can ask you to do this anew every day. And Lord, I pray that this congregation would be characterized as a people that welcome the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me take a little poll. How many of you sensed in some way that was meaningful to you the touch of God in your life right then? Raise your hand. That's a lot. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you, you're not sure you experienced anything, you, you didn't sense anything at all? It's okay, raise your hand. Okay, there's a few of those. I want to tell you, just take the pressure off. Mostly that's me. Nancy, my wife, when she's here, man, it's like when, when the Lord touches her, it's like she, I won't feel much of anything and she'll feel a lot. And I used to feel bad about that, but I've just learned to honor the individual way God works and, and, and not have pressure about that. So I want to relieve you from the pressure. I want to encourage you. What we just did, you don't need me in the room to do. 
Holy Spirit, come and just pay attention to his touch. It's not hard. Anybody can do it. He loves to help us. Amen?